I'm a man of simple pleasures. I like butter in my ass and lollipops in my mouth. That's just me. That's just something I'm into. I didn't really need to know that, David, but okay. Um, hey, guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Boogie Nights. So it's not like Boogie Nights. You know, I watched it back when I was four years old. Um, I think I watched it maybe three, four years ago um, for the first time all the way through. And then I think I've seen bits and pieces before that. But it was never really a movie that interested me, I guess. Uh, But then, you know, it's just one of those films that you watch it, you really like it. And then it it just kind of becomes like, yeah, you know, you can watch that again. I, I, I enjoyed it, but it's so long. It's so, so very long. And I don't mean Dirk Diggler's penis. But um, what did you think of the movie, David? It, it, is, it is long, and I don't mean that in a bad way, nor do I mean it in a really bad joke like you do. Um, but it... it it does like it doesn't drag, and I, I I enjoy the whole thing. Gosh, so many like double entendres. Yeah, um, I set you up for that one. But like, it's a really good movie. But it does like it is a it's two hours and thirty five odd minutes, and it, it you kind of feel it that that whole way. Like that's how like I watched it the other night, and I was like, man, I feel like I've been watching this forever, and I was halfway through. I just hit halfway through. You're, you're living his life halfway through the movie. Right. But, but having said all that, this, like, the first time you watch this movie, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a pretty, it's an entertaining movie. There's a lot going on here or there. But I think the watching it again and again, you kind of get an appreciation for sort of the craft behind the movie and, right. and like how how enjoyable it all it all is and is all put together so i mean the fact that it's you know it's funny as i was looking up um this is a paul thomas anderson movie and i was looking up all of his movies um because his first one i think is around two hours maybe a little more maybe a little less every other movie is like two and a half plus except punch drunk love is like 90 minutes so i feel like that's got to be an episode coming up just because that's an easy one to do I wouldn't um, mind doing Punch Drunk, Punch Drunk Love. But having said that, it's like someone like Paul Thomas Anderson doing a two and a half hour, three hour movie. It's like, I accept that because you know it's going to be good. You know, uh, watching it again for this, uh, I always thought there was kind of a break in the movie, right? Like the first hour is much more, how, how would you say, like lighter tone than the last hour and a half um and but looking back on it like really analyzing it the it's actually quite just sad all the way through uh i guess what i mean is like the first hours you know him getting into the porn industry and you know having all these parties and doing all these drugs and having a grand old time and I think when the New Year's scene comes in is like the shift in dynamic where things get kind of like, you know, reality starts hitting, uh, tempers get hot and, you know, people blow their brains out. But 
the other scenes before that is like uh when um uh what's her name um julianne moore when her son calls her on the phone but like she's not there to pick it up and she's doing like coke in the other room like that's really sad and and i think that's kind of like that patheticness and and sadness is sprinkled throughout the whole film even in the beginning which i never caught before yeah i mean i think there's dark there's like darkness kind of foreboding over the entire movie from beginning to end but at the same time this is sort of like a a rise and fall movie um and i think the uh you know the original this was originally like a short film called the dirk diggler story um and so it's it's this is exactly what it is it's just the rise of dirk diggler the fall of dirk diggler and then sort of the you know him coming back a little bit and at the very mediocre end. standstill <laughs> right um it's funny that uh and i kind of noticed this throughout the movie but more generally like there's no consequences for anyone no one changes there's no development of a single person at the end like once dirk diggler like starts becoming a porn star like he goes through this whole thing and then it's just right back where he was julianne moore still doesn't have her son roller girl still living at this mansion they're all doing porn for jack um no one's changed whatsoever at the very end of this movie well i mean Little Bill, Todd, they Who's died. Todd? Who's Todd? Todd is the one who got shotgunned in the in the stomach by Alfred Molina. Oh, who the fuck cares about Todd? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of like... You, you know, it's funny. I've been watching a lot of Mad Men recently, and that takes place in like early uh 60s going throughout the 60s and the transition between like uh the 60s to the 70s and the 70s to the 80s there's a giant shift in dynamics to like how people treat each other and i think not you know mad men is a great show that shows like the 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 you know growing of people through a decade but i think this movie is a great representation of like the darker side of the 70s and 80s and i don't even mean just in the porn business i just mean like like all the drugs and and sex and diseases that are all you know going around and no one had like a cap on it uh and i think this movie kind of represents that really well yeah no i I can see that um but I think as just just focusing on the characters, though, like there's not a whole lot different in the end. Well, um, no, that, I, mean, I mean, like the drugs and all the sex might have something to do with that, you know? What do you mean? I think that's just a good representation of like the, the fact that they don't change maybe says more about the times. Like the movie is saying, you know, about the 80s than... Uh, that people didn't change in the 80s? Well, the drugs and the alcohol and the and all this, you know, unprotected sex and diseases might have something to do with the lack of character development. Right. No, I, I mean, maybe, but I, I really just, I think it's just kind of an interesting thing to do in a movie that 
we always feel that there needs to be some arc for these characters. And then this, it's a really enjoyable story. It's a, it's a movie you can go back to, but there, there is no arc. There's an arc, but it just ends, you know, it ends in the same place. Like there is no change. And no, I, think, I, I agree I with like you. A good idea. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's kind of like, but it's not for saying like the story doesn't go anywhere because the characters do stuff. They experience things and they have shit happen to them. No, but, I agree. But, and there is a plot in the film, like you said, it's kind of a, a um, rise to the fall. But uh, I, I mean it more in like the fact that these characters don't have a, have a development, especially Dirk, um, makes this movie kind of a more sad and depressing movie than one would be like, like, like think of like the elevator pitch to this film, right? It takes place in the late seventies, early eighties about the porn industry, right? I mean, when you think of the seventies and eighties, people think of like, Ooh, you know, hippie love and fun and da 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 and porn industry, exciting, adventurous or whatever. But then this movie just takes it to a much like realistic, darker level. And I think that's what I really love about this movie is that it doesn't like, it shows you the harsh reality of it, but then keeps you like entertained throughout doing it. Right. The other thing is too, is for a movie like about porn, there's not a whole lot of like nudity and the sex scenes are kind of kept to a minimum, which I think is, is somewhat interesting. Well, did you want them to like raw dog it on a, on set? Like, no, I just think that for a movie like this nowadays that we're going to be trying to be like really like true to what, to, to really show what was going on in this industry, I think there would just be a lot more sex. Like there's what, the one scene with Julianne Moore, there's him trying out with Roller Girl. Yeah, but that was then, kind of like a cutaway, yeah. And then there's just little Bill continually finding his wife. I think that's probably the most risque it gets is little Bill continually finding his wife, right? Um, and then and then even when, when um, oh, what's that fucking character's name he comes up with? Uh, Eric Jiggler? No, the for the franchise. Oh, um, Bus Buster. I completely forget. Bro- Brock, something, right? Um, it's supposed to be that like this like dynamic duo, buddy cop, spy, thriller shit, but a porn. But like all the all the times you see bits of the slide nothing really happens. It's just Marky Mark and John C. Riley with guns, like jumping on rooftops. Well, and even when that guy replaces him, it's just a lot, like it's a lot of shots of like the guy's torso with a woman, presumably like, you know, giving him fellatio, uh, you know, and that's the same with like a lot of the, the Marky Mark scenes. Um, one thing I noticed from like the, the fake porn movies that you see, especially the ones where you have Mark Wahlberg and John C. Rowley like playing these fake detectives or whatever, is that the, the B and C movie, like exploitation movies of the 70s and the, the porn movies, like there wasn't that gigantic of a rift. And then I think after, you know, going through like the 80s and the 90s, I think that rift has obviously like opened up hugely to where like even like bad what do you what do you mean what do you mean just like the quality of the movie like the quality oh, okay. of the shooting the quality of the dialogue even like obviously it's horrible 
but like so were like bad movies in the 70s there's obviously like masterpieces in the 70s but i think like the lower level of shitty movies in the 70s i think that gap widened and now i still think it's like porn now doesn't obviously like try and have like plots really there would there might be like parodies here and there but but it's also funny now too that like because of technology like if you have a smartphone you can make a film right so it's like that gap is obviously probably closed a little bit at least on the quality of the filmmaking um but it just like it was it was kind of pretty apparent like just the way the film looked that's like oh you know and especially like you you have jack horner like really wanting to take this seriously and really wanting to like you know considering himself like an auteur almost right um and like really caring about that and then you have this other guy come in and like you know let's just make videos and let's like get them out um but that was something that i really noticed you know watching this well that's actually one of my favorite scenes is when the guy comes in for the meeting and he's like hey you know i want to shoot you know we should shoot this on videotape and jack is like over my dead body we're going to shoot this on videotape um <laughs> you come into my house during my party and insult me like that but um it Listen, also i'm a man of simple pleasures i like butter in my ass and lollipops in my mouth that's just me that's just something i'm into i didn't really need to know that david but okay um <laughs> yeah, that was uh what's interesting too is that is that guy's played by philip baker hall who was the main character of um paul thomas anderson's first movie which i've seen oh just a one up on you hard yep. eight so. that's fine what is it? What's the movie? It's called Hard Eight. Hard Ape? Eight. Oh, Hard Eight. <laughs> so, it's a uh, Vegas gambling movie. Gotcha. Hard Ape is the, uh, the porn parody of, of that one. Um, Maybe. Yeah. The, the, other the other scene that I really like with Jack, um, I think I thought Burt Reynolds played the absolute hell out of this role i loved him in every single scene he was in because he's he brings such like a suaveness to this like super shady and seedy business um that's something you and burt reynolds disagree on oh why so he won at first like refused to take the role over and over and over again because he didn't want to do a role about porn and then once he agreed to do it, him and Paul Thomas Anderson almost got in a fight on set. Like Bert swung at him, swung at his face. Oh, uh, was that the inspiration with us <laughs> in the scene where Bert and and uh, maybe Matt yeah, Jack maybe Bert, Bert was just practicing, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then afterwards, he like refused to do promotion for it and uh, sold the Golden Golden Globe that he won and like didn't even really try for the Oscar, even though this is the only time he's ever been nominated for an Oscar. Is what an ass. Role. What an ass. Well, he yeah. just thought it was below him. But he also thought Paul Thomas Anderson was kind of a dick. So Well, know, that might be true. I don't know him personally. Um the okay, so let's let's start at the beginning of the movie and I'll get it I'll get back into like favorite scenes and and whatnot. I don't want to bog it down. But at the beginning of the movie, um when they're at um I think it's Maurice, Maurice's club. Yep. Yeah. Um Mark Wahlberg, who plays Eddie Adams, which is kind of redundant. It's Dirk Diggler forever and always, right? But he's like this, uh, he busts tables at this club, nightclub. And then Jack Horner kind of like 
finds him, discovers him, I guess. Did you get a lot of like what exactly he was all about? Like what what brought was I guess it was the rumors, right? Because it I can't think of anything that would make Mark Wahlberg stand out in that. No, I think he's just a good looking dude. Like I think he saw him across the room room. Um and I don't know, maybe there's some like undertones of he just like knew what he was about like the way he carried himself he knew he had to be um packing or whatever although like your your thought about the rumors because apparently mark Wahlberg is just like i'll let you look at it for five or touch it for 10 or i'll touch it while you look at it for 10 um so maybe he did hear about that part um but i thought it was just like oh this is a good looking young dude let me see if he wants to be in movies well on that approach i was like kind of always thinking is there some sort of like in the beginning like an attraction that Burt Reynolds had towards Eddie Adams did you feel like that or am I nuts because he came about it super creepy yeah I, so I don't know because what's interesting is you never see it the, uh, when I first watched this I, I kind of thought there was like a oh you know Amber is his girl you know what I mean but really it's just like I don't think there's anything like crazy sexual between them. So really Jack's status of what he's interested in is, is kind of left unsaid. Well, I mean, yes and no, because I think you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head when you're like, he thinks of himself as his own, a tour, you know, he, he's, he's not, you know, incredibly committed to Julianne Moore or Heather Graham. He's just kind of like out for himself. He wants to make the best films he can. I really, uh, I really like it when he's in the, um, the editing room with the editor and he's like, this is, this is my best work. I want, I want people to know, you know, think of this when they think of me. And I was like, it's, it's not good, but whatever, man. I don't know. I mean, it might have been an entertaining movie. That'd be like a great deleted scene if there's just like a five to ten minute John C. Riley, Mark Wahlberg. A lot of their acting together, and we can get into it more, just reminded me of like the other guys. John C. Riley was like a really interesting pick, I guess, as an actor for this role. Because it's not, it's a comedic role, right? But I mean, also like, it, it's... I just find that some of these actors for these roles is very odd. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and um, John C. Riley. It's just like, it worked. It worked really well, but not at like first thought. Like I, th- th- those are not the actors that I would think of casting. Well, except you got to think of this back at that time, right? Because Philip Seymour Hoffman um, you know, he was at that same time, like he was doing Twister and he was in, um, he played a minor role in Heart Eight, like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie right before this one. And so like he did more of these kind of crazy character roles. I mean, still to the end, he did roles like that where he definitely like changed who he was. Um, and so he, and he was also very comedic in a lot of his early roles. So that didn't make sense to me. I mean, this movie is, it's got to be PTA's funniest, right? Yeah, and I, I think, think a so. lot, a lot of that has to do with John C's performance and like going into this because 
John C. Riley does do more dramatic roles where he's more straight. He's not kind of crazy. And that's what I expected. But he's like, he's closer to stepbrothers almost than he is like more serious John C. Riley to me. I mean, especially when he's like magician. Reed. Magician when he's arguing over the tapes for the record deal. Yeah. The magic on those tapes, that's ours. The tapes you may own. But the magic, that's ours. And you can't take that from us. Like that's the scene where I'm like, this is just the other guys, but John C. Riley is taking over like Will Farrell's bucket. But he plays it straight though. Like he's funny. His character, you know, but that's his character. Right. Well, and Mark Mark Wahlberg too. Like I I've never considered Mark Wahlberg like the greatest actor. And I don't mean that like, I don't think anyone would, but yes, go ahead. He's great in like the stuff he does, but in like a very serious role, like he's not going to play like a historical figure and people are going to buy it. But in this role is kind of perfect for him because, (laughs) and this is going to come off like me being a dick and I don't mean it to be, but like he's playing like an actual idiot. Right. Like someone with like a actually very low IQ level, like very low emotional intelligence. Um, and like the scene that really exemplifies that is with his mom, where yeah. his mom, first of all, his mom is a fucking psychopath, like just a complete asshole for seemingly no reason because he showed up late one night. And the dad's just like, complacent as complacent can be i just want to stay the fuck out of the way i i'd love the final shot when dirk leaves and the dad's just sitting there and you know he's just like oh fuck who's she gonna yell out now i'm the only one left (laughs) um yeah i he he plays i kind of love this scenario right like he and it's kind of with roller girl too, you know, it's that quick scene where she's taking a test and I presumably in, in high school, I yes. guess. And it's kind of weird too, right? Cause all these characters are at least supposed to be 17. Um, but they're in porn again. I don't, I didn't know the rules of the seventies and eighties, but I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Yes. Well, uh, well, that that was confusing to me. And what's what's also interesting too is like, you don't, I don't remember there being anything that tells you when this movie started, like the year that it started. But then we're like 40, 50 minutes into the movie, and um, it's the scene where they're starting to shoot the uh, the detective series, and it says like nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. And you're like, oh, all right. So, but like, yeah. So that part was a little weird to me. I mean, but it's like. I didn't really get hung up on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, so going back to her, you know, she's taking a test and she just walks out of the testing room and like a couple of guys were like doing like blowjob jokes at her. Presumably like she's been in stuff and they've seen her stuff. Like that's what I got from it. And then, you know, Marky Mark here says he's 17. Um, I, I guess my point is, is they're kind of like outcasts, right? In their own way. And they kind of found themselves a home with Jack doing this kind of work. What's funny is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson said that this is really just like a movie about family. And he's like, that's, you know, that sounds stupid. But it, it actually, when you think about it, it really is. Because, yeah, it's like all these people for one reason or another, a lot of them are now outcasts because they've been in porn. 
like Buck who tries to get a loan at a bank and they're just like, we can't deal with you people. It doesn't even matter that what you want now has nothing to do with porn. You're, you're a porn star, which really makes you think about like, even today, like when you get into that, you're like, you're in like a different world, like a different universe. Like you can't live in the normal world anymore almost. And that's obviously like changing more and more, but it's like, it, it is kind of crazy to think about like making that decision. It's like you're in a different society. Like all your friends are like porn friends now. And like your family is porn people. <laughs> I, I mean, especially with the internet, right? Like, especially with the internet, there's no, I can't imagine there's any getting away from it. Um, one thing I found interesting is that in the movie, you know, Dirk Diggler is winning all these porn awards like after his first year of um of being in pornography and then you know it shows that he's like winning them over and over and over again um the thing now though is that the the porn awards is like a thing right it's like i can say it's like 40 years into it I mean, with plus the internet and everything like that, uh, I I have to imagine it's more so like the porn industry is your family, more so now than than ever. But I found it really interesting how wi- wildly like known these guys were for like the late seventies, early eighties. Like they were showing these films in like movie theaters. Well, that's because, I mean, that's the only place you could show it, right? There wasn't like a home video market. Well, they, got, like, they were trying. It was like up and coming. Well, no, but like, video, like as an invention before like this, you know, in the 70s, you remember that 70s show? Yeah. And, like they just started coming out with like Betamax and the, and the VHS tape and like they were deciding which one was going to, like into this, in the 70s, like there had to be theaters because otherwise you couldn't watch porn. You could look at magazines and pictures, but we are digressing a little too much into the history of pornography. But one thing, I, did you notice that the, the opening scene is like a wonder? No, but the I op- now, no, yeah. Now thinking about it all the way into the kitchen, right? It's all the way until Jack notices Mark Wahlberg. Oh, so then it cuts back and forth. It's three minutes and 45 seconds. I timed it because I was like, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, there's a lot of fucking wonders. And it turns out there's like four that are like multiple minutes. But there's also just a, like a lot of long scenes and like following people with the camera and the char- camera's almost like another character. But yeah, that, that opening scene is so cool because you're meeting all these people and you don't even realize it. And you're like getting a little bit of like who they are, right? Maurice is like, I want to be in a porn movie. And Jack like, is like, Buck has his cowboy get up. Right. And you don't quite understand what that means until, you know, that's like his thing. And then roller girls just rollering all over the restaurant. Um, so like that opening scene is also really cool, but it's also just totally like, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's second film. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to show you what the fuck I can do. There's a lot of, and you know, this is obviously Scorsese does homages to other things. So it could be coming from other places, but there's a lot of like things that you've noticed in Scorsese movies that are in this one example is Dirk walking out of the house and then the hard pan in on the mother. 
Yes. There's hard pan-ins all over this fucking movie. Tom, yeah. I think Thomas Jane as the uh, the Todd male stripper. Yeah, as Todd. Like, gets two of them. Like, they're just everywhere in this. And that's, like, obviously, like, it was a big thing that we noticed in Goodfellas. And so, like, the camera work in this is very showy, not in a bad way, but in, like, it's just, like, really well done. I really like um, the scene where it's uh it's mark Wahlberg's first um scene with yeah. more and he's like like at the beginning you know jack is explaining to him like hey so i'm gonna call action and you're gonna come in and we're just gonna you know you're just gonna jump right into the scene and he's so like he i love how confident he is but he's not cocky <laughs> he's he's uh maybe i should use a different word but you know what i mean like he's like yeah we can just do it like i'm good with just doing it and um we don't need a rehearsal or anything like that and then he's like asking julianne more he's like are you are you okay with that and i want to make this sexy i want to make this sexy i want to make this good and i'm like maybe that's like really refreshing to these people like i bet you like guys like Maurice, you know, vie to get into these scenes just to have sex with, you know, many, many different women all the time. Well, Maurice admits that. that that's <laughs> the only thing he wants is to just so he can tell his brothers. No, no, sure. But I guess like in, in, a, in a sense where, um, where people wouldn't have such like um, a care for it, right? But Dirk is is like, hey, I want to make this as good as it is, and this can be more than just like filthy jacking off pornography. This can be like a life changing thing if we're good enough to do it. And uh, and I think that's what kind of makes you root for his character. That's what makes it really, you know, him really likable. Is like he's dumb, but he has a good heart, and he wants to do good by it. Um, well, and they set that up in the beginning too. Like they set up all the characters really well. You talked about how Buck got his his cowboy thing, and then you see him at the stereo store. But Dirk is, you know, Jack comes up to him almost basically like you can tell, like offering him a job, like, "Hey, come to my table." And he's like, "You know, I can't do that to Maurice. Maurice, you know, gave me a job." And like, it's right. a shitty job, but he's got like this character, and he obviously loses that throughout the film, and then maybe possibly gains it back. But then you have. Um, uh amber waves julianne moore like talking to her a straight you know ex-husband like please let me talk to my son it's like a really sad scene but it kind of sets up like where her life is at what i really like is um little bill yeah because when he first talks to jack you can just tell like this is this is a sad guy and obviously i i'd kind of listened to this podcast they they uh talked a couple times about the um about the driveway scene so they and they talked about like how sad of a character he is that may have like skewed my point of view but he then he goes home and obviously he finds his wife in bed right and like she just tells him to get the fuck out because like she's not going to even stop with this guy that he catches her with but even before that he gets into his home and he throws his keys on the counter from a foot away and like they hit the counter and then fall off and it's such this like tiny little thing right but it's like it happens to him because he's such a sad fucking person. And it's just like nothing works out for little Bill. And I think I, I really like his 
big scene where he, you know, he shoots his wife, shoots her lover, lover, and then kills himself in front of everyone. Um, because Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't need to hide what he's going to do from the audience, right? He doesn't need to hide it from you. Because the buildup of how sad he is and how just pathetic and how nothing goes his way. I think on a certain level, people can relate to that, right? Like that would frustrate me, right? And so there is some something building inside of him. So when he walks out, gets his gun from the car, I think at that moment, everyone in the audience would know like, okay, that's what he's gonna do. The killing himself though, uh, that took me by surprise um, the first time I saw this. What, what did you think about it? Um, no, I thought he would. I, 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 that's what I expected. Um, this is also another one Yeah, it is. Yeah, from like the moment after people, st- like it follows little Bill from walking outside into the party all the way looking to his wife, for his wife. And there's like, they even say like two minutes till midnight and like that whole thing of him walking out. And so it's just like, it's like another really cool scene. Um, what I find interesting about this, and this is what I was talking about, like with there's like no consequences and no changing is little Bill commits a double homicide and then a suicide and it's never talked about again. <laughs> Actually, okay, I don't know if you caught this, but remember uh, the, that the the painting? Yeah. I caught the painting, which is also pretty fucked up that it's like in the hallway of where he murdered two people and shot his wife. <laughs> it's think, like that's where we're going to put it. No, but even more fucked up and correct me if I'm wrong cuz I I don't know the like exactly the angles of the of the set, but isn't that portrait covering the blood stain on the wall? Maybe I'm assuming they would have painted it over it anyway. I don't think I don't think Jack was lacking money, which is another question I had, and we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but this is fine. Um, Dirk, like, so after Dirk has this successful, like, romp in his first porn movie, he goes out with Scotty J and uh, John C. Riley. And it's just like buying like these shoes and buying these shirts. And he talks like a complete idiot about it. Like, oh, it's embossed leather. It's imported from Italy. Like that, like that, like that my, my, wait, 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 I'm sorry. My favorite line is he's looking at the shoes and John C. Riley goes, <laughs> oh, are they lizard? And he goes, no, I think they're Italian. Right. Right. Uh, um, I love how, how, I'm sorry. I'm totally taking over. Go ahead. Well, no, but, but my point is, and then he, you see him go like and buy this house. Right. And he then buys this like expensive ass car. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, how much fucking money is this one dude making off of this? Like, is he overextending himself to buy all this stuff? Okay. So what I thought about it, and that's a really good question, but what I took from it is that they made like, you know, did his like Brock Landers films. I, you know, I took like some time passed, right? Like they, they came out with maybe a movie, a sequel, maybe a trilogy, or maybe it was like a, like a whole, like a series of short films. And so like each one selling for however much money. And that's how he became so rich, not just after one film. Am I like getting the timeline wrong? Could I be right about that? No, that that, that would make sense. Because right after he makes the first film, they're like traveling to Vegas or whatever. And they're telling them, uh, 
you know, they're telling Jack about Brock and chest and like how I find interesting um, how he's like, you know, I don't like those movies where, you know, they hit the ladies around. It's not sexy. And then later on he starts hitting ladies around in his movies, you know, in the documentary he's uh, doing with Julianne Moore. And it's like, you know, he, you see him slapping people and they're talking about the violence. And it's yeah, like, man, but he's doing it for the greater good. Okay. Right. Before we move on really quick, I wanted to, I wanted to talk real quick about the mom again. Did you, did you find that scene over the top? Like her reaction, her reaction, not his, I found his like pretty like understandable. No, no, absolutely. Like her. She, and one thing that I was reading about this is that the actress who did that scene went up to Paul Thomas Anderson after the filming it and was like, did you base that off your mom? Off your own mother? And he like got really quiet. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was just like, well, you don't have to forgive her. You know, which is understandable if you just had to play that like fucking awful of a person. And then you're like, oh, wow, that's if, if you're basing that off of your own experience, like, I'm I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, the mother is played by Joanna Gleason. And I was thinking of where I saw her, but she's been in like a lot of stuff. Like she's been on Friends. But I think what I know her from is she's uh, she's in that Jennifer Lopez, Matthew McConaughey movie, uh, Wedding Planner. Yeah, we've discussed that previously. Wedding planner? wedding planner. We discussed the wedding planner in the notebook episode because you were saying that Massimo was creepy, and Taylor and I like vehemently disagreed with you. Oh yes, 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 yes. She's been a lot of stuff. She does. She's a very great comedic actress. No, I've I've seen her in way more stuff than those two things. I just couldn't like pinpoint them. Um, what's also interesting is Little Bill's wife is played by Nina Hartley. I don't uh-huh. know if you know who Nina Hartley is who's that she's a she's a porn star yeah it was uh, apparently in the scene where she uh is murdered they were actually going to show the murder not right. just the scene from outside and when they were first they filmed it and when they were first filming it her and the other actor were actually having sex and like one of the people working on the set was like you can't fucking do that <laughs> please stop that's interesting you know it always makes me think like um Porn, they're like actual porn. They're they're actually having sex, right? But then movies like this that are just like imitating sex, they're not actually having sex. Although there's like rumors that in situations on like Broadway, like people actually have in a sex scene are actually having sex on stage. Um, But there's a movie with Willem Dafoe, something, I didn't do any research and I didn't set this up at all for myself, but something about, the devil or something antichrist Antichrist, thank you um there is like an actual sex scene and two people are having sex and it's supposed to be willem dafoe and and whoever plays his wife in the movie but they actually hired like two porn stars to like actually have sex on camera well i mean so there's like there's tons of like for the scene there's tons of like hollywood movies where there's like the chloe savini and brown bunny and she got like ostracized for that and then there's the whole caligula thing yeah. Where they hired porn actors and didn't tell the main actors that this was like a hardcore movie. Um, so well, the next it, really- Caligula is different, right? Because didn't they shoot the, the main actors separately from the porn actors and then just intercut everything together? Right. To make it look like it was them. I think like Helen Mirren's in that. Um, and like a, a lot of other famous older actors. Yeah. The next scene I really want to talk about is when Dirk first comes over, like during the day after his mom kicks him out. Um, 
and him and John C. Riley. Our first meeting with John C. Riley is them like, <laughs> how much do you squat? No, I do three fifty. Do you go to this gym? Ah, what am I saying? I'm there all the time. I would see you there if you actually went there. <laughs> and then yeah. like, how much do you bench? I I love that, like he's like oh you know i squat two. dirk is like i squat 200 john c's right like i squat 350 and dirk dirk is just sitting there like perplexed like wow 350 that's a lot and um i love that scene because you know at the end of that scene they're going to be best friends right and then this is the second oneer in the movie um starting from when like the colonel's chauffeur walks back yes and you walk past like Buck and him getting mad that people keep telling him his cowboy outfit sucks and the Colonel's girl like asking to do the Coke. But what I really love is I forget the song, but you have this song playing the whole time and then it builds up all the way to when the girl like dives into the pool and you see her from behind and then you see Dirk jump in. Like that's just so well done. It um, is. And it's like one of my favorites in there. And it's like not really a whole lot happens, although you are finally, uh, introduced to philip seymour hoffman like right after this so you were talking about philip seymour hoffman playing like a couple of comedic roles um and i would say like twister he plays a pretty comedic role in uh in you know relative relative to the movie but what was so interesting about him in this uh film is that yeah at at a glance his role is like a minor character and it's like kind of there for, for comedic purposes or uh, expository purposes. But there's that scene where he's just crying. I don't know if you want to get like into it quite yet, but there's a scene where he's just crying in his car and you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a great actor. I know Philip Seymour Hoffman is a great actor, but there's something about him playing a role that's just not as sad as little bill, but just this kind of like has this like Scotty J. No, no, no. Like I'm saying little, like you were saying little bill is a sad character, like a sad, pathetic little little man. But Scotty J has this sadness about him that I feel like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman really brings out that I don't think like any actor could, bring out that kind of sadness well because it's so subtle and yeah exactly you get it like he's like you can immediately tell that he's in love with dirk that he um is like really like he knows that dirk's not gonna that dirk's probably not gay so he's not gonna be interested in him and so it's like you immediately can feel like like the sadness of like, oh, he's not going to get what he wants and he's really not going to take it well. And he does it in such a subtle way that it's not like, it's not over the top and it's just really well done. Um, one thing, did you did you notice uh, the scene where William H. Macy finds his wife having sex in the driveway afterwards? He's talking to the guy and he says like, I can't concentrate because my wife has an ass in her cock. Is that what he said? Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I heard it the way you would think it was supposed to be said the first time. And then like when I rewatched it, I was like, wait, what does he say? And had to rewind it. Um, that's funny. They just left it in. Uh, the, the other really funny part of this is the colonel reacting to seeing Mark Wahlberg's penis. <laughs> just like this like real like, smile over his face and just sort of standing there. Uh, it was pretty, was pretty great. 
I mean, we see it at the end. The, the, the other, you know, you talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman playing like the sad part, but when they're trying all the clothes on and he just like, you know, he's a little overweight and he just looks at the pants and it's just like, these aren't going to fit. <laughs> like it's just, he's, everything he does is so subtle in this movie and either hilarious or sad or just overall great. Well, I think what's, what's so subtle about his attraction to Dirk Diggler is um, you don't know if he is in love with him or if he just thinks he's so cool, wants to be him. Right. Right. There's this attraction for sure, but you don't know if it's romantic or just like, you know, a vying to, to be as cool as him. And I think, you know, the tipping point is obvious, but up till that point, Mark Wahlberg buys a shirt. He buys the same shirt. He buys the pants. They buy pants. He buys a red car. You know, the other guy buys a red car. And it's almost like this, like, obsessiveness, but it's also, you find out, romantic. I thought it was just a really, really interesting to pl- way to play, like, this minor character. Well, and this, this all leads to, like, the next scene. And we talked about this. The uh, Basically, it's New Year's Eve, 1979. Um, I did, and we talked about the William H. Macy part of it. I did find it kind of interesting that he shoots both of them and kills them, like, when the countdown's going, and they don't make it to 1980. And then he shoots himself right at the beginning of 1980. Um, like after the, the new decade has started. I but love the, the title card, the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, what's also interesting in there is like Jesse tries to like, you can see her trying to hit on Dirk and that doesn't work out. So she goes over to Buck and Buck's like got his newest ridiculous outfit on with like the wig that he's wearing. Um, this is also when we first meet Todd Parker who's played by Thomas Jane. We have like the first hard pan in. Um, but it's when Scotty like finally makes his move on Dirk and he like wants to show him his car. And you can totally tell what's going to happen because he's like, Dirk, c- come look at my car. And then Dirk gets distracted by meeting Todd Parker and Scotty's just like really like, like, are, are you coming? Are you going to come now? Or like, what's happening? Um, but the other great part about this, we t- we've actually covered a lot of this scene. We covered the guy coming over Philip Baker Hall to talk about videos. Um, but like that just whole scene is, is kind of great. And you were, you said this earlier, but you were right. Like this is definitely the change in tone of the movie. And it's also like the first time we see Dirk do drugs that yep. Amber offers him. Yep. And the way he does it, I think it's almost implied that this is the first time that he's done Coke or at least hard drugs. Yeah, no, it's exactly what I thought. And I think that, I mean, wouldn't you agree that all of his trouble from being in the porn industry comes from his like overdoing of drugs? Absolutely. Cause his, I think his overdoing of drugs leads to his basically problem with getting it up and just not being able to perform well. Right. Which I think then leads to his anger issues, his anger issues. But before that, I think it leads to Jack trying to find another guy to replace him, which only exacerbates the drug use and the anger issues. Right. Uh, I do love, we talked about the documentary, but I think John C. Riley, it's one of his greatest parts in the movie is him in the documentary. He's like, listen, you know, violence is, violence is everywhere. Right. And so it's like, if, if porn, if I thought porn was causing violence, like I'd quit right now. Like I, 
I can fuck in other situations. Like I, I'm a magician. So like, I totally have that career path, but um, what was I saying? So violence is all. <laughs> yeah. Actually speaking of the documentary, didn't you love the part where uh, uh, Dirk was like, yeah, Jack lets me block my own sex scenes. And then Jack was like, I, I don't let, I don't let him block his own sex scenes. And, and then, then after- later on, Dirk was like, yeah, Amber, maybe you, you can just cut that out. Right. This does lead to kind of the darkest point, the, the darkest part of this movie, because they don't really get into the seedier part of porn, I think, but the colonel getting arrested. Yeah. Yep. I was actually confused, and I'm glad I read. He, he, gets, he gets arrested. The start of it is because he gives a 15-year-old Coke, but he hadn't had sex with her yet, so he can't be charged with that. Um, but then they found other things and he's like, he tells Jack, like, they're just so cute and adorable, but I would never touch them. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I read on the internet, it's child porn, obviously not great, but for a while I thought he like had children at his house. Like he was like trafficking. Either way, this is like the darkest part of the movie to me. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know a situation is never good when your justification starts with, look, I know she's 15, but she was going on 150, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I mean, which I'm pretty car- sure having sex with both a 15 year old and a 150 year old would both still be illegal. Um, well, there's nothing like set in stone about the 115 year old, 50 year old, but I mean, I mean, th- there, there might be other legal issues with that. Um, this this then leads to uh, Mark Wahlberg finding out he's been replaced, and you have like the red lit of Mark Wahlberg and Jack in in Maurice's club, which is also kind of similar to like the red lighting of Goodfellas. Yes, a little yes. bit. That isn't even one I noticed, but it, um, are we going to talk about Dirk Diggler's music career? Oh, that'll come up. <laughs> but first, we got to talk about him doing a bunch of crystal meth, like. There's just the the scene of Todd Parker continually bringing them more and more drugs. And then Dirk starts, basically, he goes to the bathroom to try and get himself up and can't do it. Right. It's in there for a very long time. I do like the way that they let like let you know that it's been a long time with like kind of the slow cut into like a, a new him, like still trying to get himself up. But you're talking um, about like that, that fade transition, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then him fighting with Bert, and we already talked about how Bert prepared for that fight scene. Um, I, this is like, even in this scene, Dirk is still an idiot. Like he doesn't know how to speak. He's like, "You're not the boss of me. You're not the king. You're not my mother. You're not my father." But it's just like things that like someone with a low emotional IQ would like yell at people, right? And it's really just it, it, a lot of it is just because he he realizes twenty minutes from now I might not have a boner anymore, so it's like it's now or never. Yeah, and I I mean Jack makes the right decision. Like, why are you gonna throw a girl in uh, like a sex scene with this guy who is so hot headed right now? I mean, that's like the liability on you is enormous at that point. Um, well, and it's just not gonna be good. And it's not going to be good. I was thinking about the girl, but you were thinking about the scene. That's fine, David. Um, I'm just thinking the way Jack thinks, baby. Money, money, money. 
what I what I don't understand about this afterwards, and I think I said this to you before we started recording, I don't understand how Dirk couldn't get other jobs. I, I guess you could say, presumably, he's just still doing all the drugs, and we see that he's still doing all the drugs, so maybe just everyone else can tell he might be washed up, but you mean like he's he's really big in the in the industry, he's winning all these awards. Why doesn't like another porn company hire him? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're I right think, though. I think like well, sorry, real quick. I think the realization of him thinking that the size of his package is gonna take him all the way and basically make him invincible in this industry. And then it his the one thing that he feels like he has over everyone it's not it's not working out it's not good enough you know right and the next little bit is mostly just like i you you can't call this a montage because it's like it's small scenes but they're all spliced together but the scenes are just kind of too long but you see the new guy really isn't working he's just sort of an asshole to the girls um and jack can kind of tell it's not working uh dirk doing a lot of drugs uh, the bank refusing to loan Buck the money. We talked about that earlier because you know he's in porn. Then, uh, then Jack's. I feel like Jack and Roller Girl's lowest point is like the bang bus thing where they're going around Las. Is it Las Vegas picking up I, guys? No, I think it's just it's still L.A. Oh, um, yeah, and then also the Dirk Diggler singing, uh, which I know you wanted to talk about first. So real quick, before we get into that, what did you think of that, like, amateur? Because I remember the videotape guy was like, oh, you know, video instead of movies, amateurs instead of professionals. And then it seems like that's the way Jack was going, right? Starting to do stuff on videotape, starting to get random guys off the street. But then that wasn't working for him, right? Because he doesn't know how to do that. That's not his... No, it's not it's not that he doesn't know how to do it it's just it's he's basically giving up he had these principles about how things should look that we should be making real movies but he loses dirk he has this new asshole who's clearly not as good and he's like well i you know fuck it i guess i'll just try and make money um and then he's just moving to these basically like these kind of oddities like oh i'm gonna film live porn did you notice who the guy was that got pulled off the street in the limo? No. It's the guy who was miming blowjobs to Roller Girl in high school. It's the same it guy. was? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that's like everyone's lowest point. Um, okay, now, right. we can, and, now we can talk about the music. Yeah, we don't need to talk about them almost murdering that guy. Although it does play into a, a kind of a pivotal other part. But... Um, I think it's funny that Mark Wahlberg, he had a music career. Obviously, he was rapping more than anything. But he has to purposely be singing bad. Like, I think he could probably sing a lot better than what was going on. Oh, no, no, no. I, I have to imagine that Mark Wahlberg has, like, a pretty decent voice. I'm, you know, I I think um, I don't have an, an ear for it. I can't hold a, a tone for my life. Although, I think when I sing... I hear myself do well, but then I could do something like this scene, right? Where without trying, I could sing bad. But I think you- You've got the touch! For, for a second though, because every note he sings is flat. And I feel like you have to know how to sing 
to be able to pull off that every note you sing is bad, I think that takes talent. Yeah, absolutely. There was not a single good note in the entire thing. I love them arguing with the dude afterwards. And we already talked about it a little bit, but just uh, Mark Wahlberg basically saying like, let me do some simple arithmetic for you. One, you give us the tapes. Two, we get the record deal. Three, we give your money. And I got to tell you, this is a sure fucking thing because those tapes are the greatest thing that's ever been created. It's like, yeah, clearly not. And then I love when he's like, uh, you know, it's more of a catch-22. And he's like, what do you mean a catch-22? But he didn't mean like, like, oh, what do you mean a catch-22? He's like, like, wh- what is a catch-22? He didn't understand a catch-22. You're using a lot of jargon that's above my head. YP, MP, like, I don't understand any of this business stuff. <laughs> I love how he thinks he knows karate to the point where he's convinced everyone else around him that he knows karate. I mean, he might know karate. Hell, I don't know. But whenever he's going when he to fight. it karate. Karate. Like when, when he shows his bed and he's like, yeah, it's this whole karate vibe. It's <laughs> just like an Asian vibe. Anyways, look, listen, I love when he gets into the fight with Jack. He gets into the fight with the music producer. He just jumps into this like, stance right i i love it he mark Wahlberg is like there's a few roles that he's played throughout his career that i just think you could have gotten someone better someone different and it would have been just a better move but i feel like like what like the happening No, no, no 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 i will absolutely you cannot blame the happening on mark Wahlberg. it's just a bad movie and I love M. Night Shyamalan and I tried to give that movie a chance but like there's a ton of different people in there that you've seen act well in movies John Leguizamo um, Zoe Deschanel yeah and then you have this and they suddenly all of them don't know how to act I think the purpose like he was trying to go for this over the top bad hysterical acting in everybody but it it just didn't work and that's like it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen and i don't mean to pile on it but it is and i will not let you blame mark Wahlberg for that he was perfect in the departed mm-hmm. four brothers okay the other guys ted one and two although i never saw two yeah, i never saw two too but Without denigrating him anymore, why don't you just get to the part where you're going to say he was great in this? He, this role was, like, made for him. This is, like, his magnum opus, I feel like. Like, there was, there was no one I could imagine that did a better job than, than Mark. And, you know, after the first time I've seen this, the image in my head that I leave with him in this film is him later on in the movie presumably when he's like in his early twenties and he has kind of like some, you know, five o'clock shadow scruff and stuff. Right. But, um, which I guess is more keen to like how Mark Wahlberg is now. Cause he he's, he's aged very well. But um, when you first see him, when you're first introduced to, to Eddie, um, you know, he turns around and he's busting tables I've never seen Mark Wahlberg look so young. And I, 
there was a few times in the beginning where it's just kind of like fast paced, fast cutting. I was like, I don't recognize him. He looks like a totally different person. He's so young. Um, yeah. He, how, yeah. I mean, it was, this was 97. This was like right after he was like Marky Mark, right? Big time. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was in his, like the beginning of his career and he was, he was very young. Um, well, the, the next scene I do want to talk about though, is the scene where Amber waves, uh, her real name's Maggie is in a custody hearing. Um, I actually couldn't watch that scene the next time because it was so like depressing to me the first time right. that I just skipped over it and got to the point where like after she cries because she's not going to get to see her son anymore. What I did find interesting in reading about the movie is this is based on a true story of a porn star and the porn star's name is Veronica Hart and the judge was played by Veronica Hart in the scene, which is just like really like just it's it's such a fucking cool thing when you read it like that is just like such a cool idea i'm gonna have to watch that scene again with that in mind because i'm sure that hits that hits harder the second time but but i mean it goes back to what you were saying about how hard it must be to live that kind of life you know you either must be an outcast into everything you were you know you had beforehand or you just maybe not care to be included in like regular society which is okay and that's fine but like i think if you decide that's what you want to do then you have to really like think like okay this is what i have to do for all my life you have to presume that that husband was at some point involved with her while she was in this world too and so he's kind of a little bit he's not a sympathetic figure you don't know how long you don't know how long she's been doing it unless you think she's been doing it for like I mean, she's no spring chicken, but how dare you talk about Julian more like that? Um, the next thing is, so we talked about the live porn shooting with Roller Girl, but this right. is also taking the same time as the the lowest point of Mark Wahlberg. And I just want to say that if you pay a man to watch him jerk off, you then can't beat him up for being gay and call him gay. <laughs> Wait, it just should be a universal rule. <laughs> You shouldn't beat up someone because you think they're gay anyway, but especially not after paying them to jerk off and then taking your money back. Fucking rude. I, I really do like, like, for example, I didn't notice that roller girls guy at, at that like amateur car thing. Um, what do you want to call that? Just the. It was a limo. But it was like just a live porn shoot is what he kept calling it. He's like, this is the first live porno. Were they broadcasting it live? I didn't quite understand. Anyways, (laughs) the point is... With with 1980s technology, they're broadcasting it live. Dude, I work for a a live... I work work for a live uh, television studio a couple years ago. And they needed like like monster of equipment just to do something I'm like, yeah, you can fit all that in a limo. No this problem. is just Jack holding a camera or um, having another guy hold a camera and him a mic. <laughs> uh, the, the lowest point, right? So I didn't notice that it was the same guy that was like tormenting her in high school. Um, but then like you would think like he was doing, you know, stuff behind the restaurant counter for fives and tens. And now he's back on, on doing that for maybe presumably a little bit more. But he asked for on, 20. The guy only had 10. Okay. But then on top of that, 
to get the shit beat out of you and then robbed is like icing on the cake, right? It's, it's Paul Thomas Anderson's way of just like really making the audience understand, hey, listen, this is the lowest, this is rock bottom. And what's cool too, and you can say it's a little too cute or whatever, but having their rock bottoms literally happening, happening at the same time and almost basically in the exact same geographical location because the, the, I love the shot of the trucks pulling out after they beat up Mark Wahlberg, the limo passing by, and then you see Don Cheadle uh, going in to uh, get donuts with his pregnant wife. Um, and after that scene, the first time I saw that scene when – basically three different people get shot and killed and he's the only one alive. And he's just looking at basically enough money to start his business, which I don't know how a donut shop would have that, but you know, that's what we're to believe. I was like, do not grab that money. Like things are not going to end bad for you. But then this is the, there are no consequences. And he grabs that money, he opens his shop and now like things are happy again for him. The, uh, the favorite. Okay. So, but What would be your favorite scene in this movie? Um, my favorite scene is probably the, the, the one where the girl then walks into the pool at the end. Cause I just think it's so well done in the way the music hits. Like that's my favorite part of the movie. So we're coming up now on the scene. That's my favorite part of the movie where the, uh, the drug caper where yes where dirk reed and todd try to rob alfred molina of like a bunch of drugs and cash from a safe under the bed in the floorboard in the, in the floor safe um i so i love i love this scene and i think around the time that i first watched boogie nights i first watched the big lebowski and there are so have you seen the big lebowski yes okay do you remember that scene where they go uh and the car is out in the driveway and there's like um john goodman goes into that like oh my god it's been so long since i've seen the big lebowski um do you know what scene i'm talking about where he goes in and like they they destroy his car because they okay. think they think that anyways i always get these two scenes mixed up because of how similar like the plot layout is but alfred molina singing jesse's girl and then it's just this one it's just this hold on mark Wahlberg's face just like contemplating contemplating and then his he's like all right let's go we we gotta go <laughs> So apparently Alfred Molina had never heard Jesse's Girl or the other song, I think Motorin, that they were playing. Right. And he had to like listen to them over and over again to like memorize them for the movie. Um, but I, <laughs> that scene is, is, it's the closest we ever get to consequences for anyone. I, I guess Todd gets consequences and obviously like deserved. But I do love when they're hatching this plan. First of all, Scotty J is like, you guys should be careful, which is the most innocuous advice ever. Not don't do it or I'm going to call the cops to prevent you. Just 
you guys should be careful. And <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, Scotty, shut the fuck up. What are you doing? Leave us alone. <laughs> um, but I also love, uh, as they're planning it, uh, uh, Thomas Jane is like, oh, okay, I'm going to call them. And uh, John C. Riley, well, wait, do you have his phone number? Yeah, I have his phone number. Okay. So then we'll drive over there later tonight. Well, do, do you know his address? He's like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, okay, just, I had questions. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just everything, man. Just everything about that scene, the shootout, and then them just, I think the favorite part of that scene is them running out of the house, Alfred Molina chasing them with a shotgun, and then he makes it into his car, Reed Rothschild goes like a completely different way, just runs away. And then he makes it no farther than like at the end of the street. And then he runs out of gas. Right. Well, his, uh, his car is already jacked up too. And like, it almost made it seem like he needed to be on that hill because it wouldn't start otherwise. Um, I do love in that scene too, Thomas Jane as like Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley are trying to leave. Thomas Jane is just sitting on the couch and no one's paying attention to him. And he's like making demands under his breath. And he's like, well, Hey, we're not leaving. We want the, want the safe and the floor safe. We want all the drugs and the money. Like we're not leaving. And no one is paying attention to him. He just keeps saying it. I love his like, Hey, 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 you know, until they, they like look at him and he's like, then he pulls out the gun. I love how he's like, presumably like to Alfred Molina. And I guess we're just going to, forget his character name because i can't remember it um but it's gonna be like you know don't reach for that gun and he shoots the body it's just a great scene i can't i love alfred molina's little like nod to mark Wahlberg and john t riley like we had no idea this was happening we didn't know this and alfred molina just like waves them off like it's okay it's okay it's fine it just pulls out a gun and shoots him but then starts shooting at both of them because it's like everyone has to die at this point like i'm going after everybody um but again no consequences right because i mean they must have said each other's names a billion fucking times throughout that whole scene alfred molina is the only one left alive in the house so what no police are called he was never questioned he was never given the other two guys' names he was never like going out to look for them but that kind of goes along with what you said I think there is a deleted scene where I think the cops do show up and I think Alfred Molina may like go out in a blaze of glory or something. I don't know. Um, But I do like, I like the theme of them just being, there just being no consequences. And also like Alfred Molina is like, he's kind of a bad seedy guy. He apparently has a dude on his payroll that has a gun, but he only has one of them. So it's like, if you're in that position where you just have a ton of drugs, like you don't call the cops you would have to take care of it yourself. Well, I didn't mean but like seemingly, he calls but, but, the cops, but it was just a shootout. Neighbors call the cops, you know? That's fine, but that's not what I was talking about. So okay. thanks for interrupting. Yeah, you're but, welcome. But he, he's at the level where you, normally you'd have to take care of that yourself, right? You'd go find them, but he doesn't seem to be high up enough to where he has the resources to like go find people that have fucked him over. He seems to be like, I'll just let this one go. You know what I mean? It's, it's over. You're saying he's not the, he's not the kingpin. No, no, he's just a dude with a lot of money that likes to buy a lot of drugs, I guess. He's the handler. Well, he just likes to party. Yeah, he, he, he you know, he's not, he's not the kingpin. He's more Doc Ock. So this goes to the final scene of the movie with the last Warner, 
the fourth one, which just follows Jack, Burt Reynolds, through his entire house. You know, you get to see Don Cheadle's baby and Jesse still painting. You get to see Roller Girl, who apparently needs the cleaner room, which is also very much plays into, like, the family aspect of this. Like, him yeah. telling her, like, hey, like... You had to, like, hit it hit it home with that theme. Right. And then him walking through, talking to Don again. I, I, I guess I didn't realize this is... No, wait. John C. Riley's in the pool with the baby. And then Don Cheadle's, like, setting up the sound system. Yeah. Um, it's not John C. Riley's baby, obviously. Uh, and then him finally just going to Amber and telling her, like, you're the foxiest bitch in the world. And you kind of see, like, she doesn't seem as happy with her with her life anymore. But, you know, she this is what she's got. She'll, she'll power through it. Um, and then you get to the I, – I told my wife about halfway through this, I paused this to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I still haven't seen his penis. Like, when is this going to happen? And it's like, you know, not till – it's the last shot of the movie. It holds on it for quite a bit more, like longer than I, I uh, remember. We had to fully take it in. I do, I do like uh, one, the like the Miami Viceness of his outfit. Like uh-huh. you, like since we're now in the eighties, like we're we're kind of like changing up his cop persona, like the way he dresses. And when I f- saw the final scene, I was kind of like, this looks like an homage to Randy Jing Bull. And I looked it up, and that was the purpose of it. It's just, you know, him talking into the mirror the same way De Niro did practicing lines, you know, but De Niro obviously didn't take his cock out. So <laughs> that's the difference. Well, what was the raging bull? Um, I, I do love that ending shot, right? It's like, Oh, do you? Let me, let me rephrase. When Jack is going, <laughs> I walked right into that one. When Jack is going around, you know, and he's like, he visits John C. Riley playing in the pool with the baby, and he's like, what does he call himself? Uncle Jack, right? Right. But he's more like the dad to all of them, seriously. And then you he probably didn't of, want to be called Grandpa Jack. <laughs> right. Um, but then, you know, you have like, like the fun uncle playing with the baby in the pool and then you have that kind of uncle that's always trying to install a new radio system in the house and then you got the it's just uh my only like question maybe it's dumb i don't know but it didn't feel like and i think because everything was in one shot until you go to you cut to dirk diggler right you don't walk into the room with him. No, no. Yeah, you just cut to him. It cuts after um, Amber waves. Is he getting ready for a scene? It didn't feel like he was in a room in the house. It felt like he was like in a green room at a studio or something. It just felt like he was in a different place. Did that feel like that to you? Is he supposed to be? Well, he's in a bathroom. I think that's where he always prepared. And the beginning of that Jack scene is him telling them to set up the, the, to get ready for filming. Okay. So presumably it's all happening in the same place. Um, uh, one thing too, you talked about how like the family aspect of this, and we were talking earlier about how I don't, there didn't seem to be anything sexual between Jack and Amber, but family wise, Jack and Amber are the dad and mom. Like, yes. They're the patriarch matriarch. And what's also funny too, we didn't talk about this, is Roller Girl is saying, can I call you mom? Like in that scene where they're just doing drugs in the room and Amber's like, do you want to go for a walk? And she's like, I don't want to leave the room. She's like, me neither. Oh, thanks mom. Like them just back and forth. Um, and so it's like, it's really 
bad pun maybe intended it really hits you in the face the family roles that they're going for at the end of this yeah but then i mean they all have sex with each other except for jack right i mean mean, it's not your normal nuclear family correct okay um but i do have like i i do like how john c Riley is like an uncle buck is like an uncle um you know, roller roller girl is like the sister. So then, what is Dirk, right? And he's then I was weird, like, he's, he's the, the weird, weird brother that that has his pants down in his room that jerks off in the bathroom all the time, <laughs> and you can't get to use the bathroom. Uh, before we end this, from time to time, we like to do the alternate casting of these. Um, are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. So for Jack. Uh, Warren Beatty and Sidney Pollack were originally offered the role. Sidney Pollack would have been good. Yeah, it would have been Warren different. Ba- yeah, Sidney Pollack would have been different. Warren Beatty would have been, I think, very similar to Burt Reynolds. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Albert Brooks. Uh, Albert fucking Brooks was offered the role. He turned it down. Harvey Keitel turned it down. Jack Nicholson turned it down. Um, and then the last one, which would have been very interesting, Bill Murray. No, I don't see it. I could, I could totally 100% get behind Harvey Keitel. I think that would have been almost perfect. Bill Murray would have been different. It would have been funnier, right? Like the Jack yeah. character has to be funnier if it's Bill Murray. Like yeah. you have to change the character up. So in, in that respect, I don't think it works if you're looking to replace Burt Reynolds. But if just as Bill Murray in that role, I'd watch it. Well, look, I mean, Bill Murray is not the Bill Murray we know today. He's, you know, 20 years uh younger but i think it would have been a little too close to john john c Riley's character like yeah the, com- the comedic aspect that would have been like i love the dynamic of burt reynolds and like all the other characters um i think it's an interesting dynamic all right so who, who else you got well that was for that so for dirk diggler uh christian bale ben affleck matt damon and ethan hawk were all considered so the list got it yeah the list of the list of white, white people boys. of that age, yes. <laughs> uh, Joaquin turned it down because he didn't want to do a porn movie. Yeah. Which obviously he then has worked with Paul Thomas on like almost everything. Um, Jason Lee turned this down. <laughs> the drummer? No, Jason Lee. Oh, of, Jason Lee of, of, of Alvin Amy. and the Chipmunks. Oh, yes. Uh, Jason Amy. That's, that's what I meant. I mean, if Jason Lee does this movie, he's probably not doing Alvin and the Chipmunks. That's like a total career change for him. And he I mean, gotta... don't say that because Mark Wahlberg did this movie and he still pulled out Transformers. Yeah, but Transformers is a huge fucking payday. Uh, so was Alvin and the Chipmunks. Maybe. Um, and then Leo DiCaprio turned it down to do Titanic. Um, uh, that would have been a... that would have been really interesting. I don't know. Like, as we said, Mark's pretty perfect for it. And DiCaprio actually said that they should consider uh, Wahlberg for it, which is really cool. Yeah, because they but did uh, Basketball Diaries together, right? I think so. And But just Wahlberg's perfect for this. Like, this is a role he's made to do, which once now, again is not a slight. As amazing as, as Leo is and would have been, like, awesome for this, I would have loved to see an alternate universe where Leo DiCap was Dirk Diggler and Mark Wahlberg was Jack on, on the Titanic. Rose, let me see your tits. 
the role of Amber Waves was offered to Marissa Tomei, which I would have, I would, I think would have worked. Yes, I agree. With she, you. she eventually goes on to play a stripper in The Wrestler, which is a little different. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was offered Roller Girl, and she was actually in Hard Eight, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, but she turned it down. Uh, Samuel the nudity. I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I don't okay. know. Okay. Samuel Jackson turned uh, was offered Buck. Uh, I think he could have he he could probably do better than that. I, part. I, you know, yeah, but I honestly I really like Don Cheadle, and I don't feel like you see Don Cheadle in a lot of things, and it's kind of refreshing to see someone other than Samuel L. Jackson playing the one black guy in a in a movie, especially in the nineties. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, and then Rahad Jackson is the Alfred Molina role, whose name you didn't know, and uh, John Turturro turned that down. Which it, th- th- that that would have been good too. I like Alfred Molina, but John Turturro would have been great. But Alfred Molina is great too. So it's like that's not. There's no loss there. Honestly, of all these, I don't really. I wouldn't have wanted any of them replaced. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan, and this is David, and I finally watched Boogie Nights. <laughs>